belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for March 12th, 2023 is called Too Much to Carry. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. My name is John Ray. If you're watching on the live stream, listening on podcasts, welcome to Grace Church. We are really glad that you are here this morning. Maybe one of the most oft attributed Bible verses there is, is that God will never give you more than you can carry. Which is not in the Bible, by the way, but it is attributed to the Bible with that. It is a cliched response that needs to be blown up, burned down, and buried at the bottom of the ocean. It's not just a misinterpretation or a particular bad piece of theology. It is toxic and dangerous. The things that are dropped on us, that we are forced to carry, whether through our own action and choices, or the action and choices of others, or just the cumulative careening of culture from one misguided mania to another, we are all overburdened at times. We are given too much to carry. So what is the answer to such a crushing weight? I mean, there are plenty of offers to assuage the pressure, addiction, distraction, Fleeing, transferring, or just giving up altogether. But these only add to the cumulative crushing. Is there even an answer? I think there is, although it might not be what we think. It is with facing the things that terrify us, that feel like they are going to crush us, the weights that feel too much to carry, it is in facing these things that we will find a way through, not running from them, not ignoring them or minimizing them. And I don't just say this because I think it's a good thought. I think we see this often in the Bible, and we see it nowhere like we see it in Lamentations. When the people of Israel refuse to look away, where they don't just look once and turn away, but they develop a practice of facing it, so that hopefully over the generations, they can not only learn to endure, but be changed in order to overcome it. And that's why we study lamentations. And that's why we also practice lament. So, um, actually, Kent, would you help me pass these out? We're going to do a responsive reading of lamentations here in a moment. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago when we introduced the book, the interesting thing about Lamentations, it is not a, it's not a history in the sense of a lot of books tell us the story of God's people. And it's not even really a song, like in the Psalms, something to be chanted or something, but, but Lamentations, we believe, was a written liturgical guideline. It was something that the people would rehearse, that they would practice and while the ideas of it were written down in the, in the uh, diaspora, in the years of captivity in Babylon, they weren't really codified or written down until the people returned to Jerusalem. And then they were invited to practices to remember the time. 
And not just as a moment in history, not just as a way of looking back, but as a way of really inhabiting the time, of recalling that trauma, of recalling that loss, and then being together in it to move through it. So when we get to this portion, we're, we're going to have the band, they're going to be noodling. Um, while, while we read it, you'll read the, the part in the bold. I'll read the other part as we get to it. But a little bit of background as we get going. First of all, like who wrote Lamentations? We believe the author was Jeremiah. That's who it's historically been ascribed to. But it easily could have been another one of the prophets. It could have been someone writing in Jeremiah's name. But whoever it was could have easily sat back and snugly told the people, I told you so. You see, the first two chapters of Lamentation are set talking about the things that the people did. Y'all did this and this is what happened. Y'all were bad and God did this. Those people did this to y'all. And then the voice changes in chapter 3. We get to chapter 3 and suddenly it's I. It's me. It's us. And what's interesting about that is, like I said, is the prophet, the one who wrote this, had been warning the people all along not to do the things or these calamities would come. He was maybe the only righteous one. The prophet was, was maybe the only person who could say, my hands are clean, y'all. I don't deserve this. This isn't my fault. But he, he doesn't do that. Instead, he fully identifies. He enters into the suffering and pain of the people. He takes it upon himself. I told you so is so tempting. It's so tempting for us, right, to say, it's not my problem. Why should I have to pay that bill for somebody else? Why should I have to suffer for someone else's bad choices? I, it's not my fault they're like that. I didn't participate in that. As a matter of fact, I told them not to go and they went anyway. And why, So why do I have to pay the bill? But the prophet rejects all that. Instead, he fully identifies with those who have sinned and suffered, even though he may, not be, he may be the one person who could stand apart and shout, I told you so. The prophet is practicing a cruciform way of living, entering into and experiencing the suffering and punishment of others, of the things that he's not necessarily deserving of. There is power here in corporate lament, in knowing we aren't giving things up or practicing this alone. Have you ever been in that place where you're so overwhelmed by your own sin, your own bad choices? That's the first thing you feel. You feel cut off. You feel alone. You feel hopeless. This corporate lament is a way of, of expressing this together so that that person who may be feeling that all of a sudden is restored to community even if it is a community of pain, of suffering, of lament. It's also for those who, like the prophet, may, may have clean hands, but, but in a deeper level, they're part of the community, and so their hands aren't clean because we are all one. We are all one people. None of us is guiltless. None of us can stand above the others. 
We're in big trouble, y'all, when we think we're not part of the problem. But also, we sabotage the future when we think we're not part of the solution. There's a line in a poem that I read recently that has stuck with me. It says, we know too much and we know too little. And I think about the, the fire hose of information and images we get from earthquakes in Turkey and 50,000 people dying and suffering and people being bombed in wars and, and, and all of the accumulated suffering of the world. Never has a generation been like ours where we are present to so much suffering. Think about it. We've ne ne never has there been a generation where we were, could see the magnitude of the suffering that is going on on a planet of 8 billion people. And yet, at the same time, we know too little. We, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to respond. I mean, if we tried to respond, think about it. They call it compassion fatigue. Think about if we tried to respond to every single GoFundMe that went up for everybody that's lost someone or doing something, every appeal from Red Cross or Salvation Army or United Way, everything, it would crush us. We know too little. We don't know how to respond to that individually and collectively. And so we're caught between knowing too much and knowing too little. But we do know this, that change can only happen when we acknowledge the truth. We cannot shut our ears and our minds and our hearts to it. Yes, we need to learn to, to in a way, manage it. And that's what we're doing through lament. But we cannot harden our hearts. As we were preparing this, Jennifer talked about how we were facing a, a, an empathy crisis in our country. There, in our way, we, we try to validate our own successes as a way of distancing ourselves from those who cost us something, who have something that, that we can't feed. And Laura says, you know, we rationalize this. She talked about how when we fail, it's due to circumstances outside of our control, right? When I mess up, it's their fault. When I mess up, it's the circumstances' fault. But when other people fail, hey, that person's bad. That person made a bad choice. So we divest ourselves of personal responsibility when we make a mistake, and we invest it in other people when they make a mistake. It's a way of distancing ourselves. Alex talked about how in our society we only measure the outcome. We don't measure the effort. We don't recognize that what takes one person so much effort just to achieve a bare minimum, another person does is with ease. And so to the person with ease, we ascribe moral superiority to the person who had to work hard and barely makes it or fails even after all their efforts we ascribe moral failure to them it's another way of distancing things but y'all lament is necessary for shalom willful ignorance blame shifting shame shuffling escapist optimism and violent denial only dig us deeper into the hole So what do we do with this? How do we do this? How do we practice lament? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to read this together. We're going to do this in three acts. You can stay seated. 
We're going to start reading Lamentations 3, and, and as we said before, this is an acrostic. It goes through the Hebrew alphabet. You'll see the letters there that start each one. We'll read this out loud, and we're going to pause a couple times in here, and I'm going to offer a different way of saying what we've had. But here's the thing, y'all. I want to invite you just to, to feel it. It's okay. If you need to cry, if you need to get up, if it's too much, if it's too much and you need to get up and leave, get up and leave. I get it. I get it. If you need to kneel, if you need to write something down, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. But, but give yourself permission to feel this as we do this. I am the man who has experienced affliction from the rod of the Lord's wrath. He drove me into captivity and made me walk in darkness and not light. He repeatedly attacks me. He has made my mortal skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with bitter hardship. He has walled me in so that I cannot get out. He has weighted me down with heavy prison chains. Also, when I cry out desperately for help, he has shut out my prayer. To me, he is like a bear lying in ambush, like a hidden lion stalking its prey. He has obstructed my paths and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He shot his arrows into my heart. I have become the laughingstock of all people, their mocking song all day long. He ground my teeth in gravel. He trampled me in the dust. I am deprived of peace. I have forgotten what happened, what happiness is. I believe these lamentations were not, well, they were designed to be practiced, but they weren't designed to be just limited to the specific experience of the people of Israel, but to that universal human experience of suffering of the loss. And so I wrote, I wrote this in response, and maybe you feel this way too. God, this feels like way too much, like it's just not fair, like it's piling on. Sure, I've messed up, but come on. How can I deserve this much pain, this much guilt, this much loss, this many dead ends and malignant diagnoses? How can I endure this much? God, please make it stop. Make it stop. Make it stop. If it was just me, that would be one thing. But this weight is killing my kids, my friends, everyone I love. My family, our schools, this country is being torn apart. And the most innocent, the most vulnerable bear the brunt of it all. We are all sacked, sinking, and starving. The guilt and the consequences, the shame and the stark lack of a cure blot out all light, any happiness. 
every hope. We're shipwrecked and sinking, surrounded by salt water and sharks. Our credit cards are maxed out and the utilities have been cut off. No one will hire us. Every call is from a bill collector. We've been doxxed and slandered, canceled and cut off. Our cars are broken down or repossessed. Depression sits on our chest and pounds in our brains. Please make it stop. Make it stop. Make it stop. My soul cleaves to the dust. How quickly I forget the words that gave me life. Would you speak them once again? Would you speak? condition which is a bitter poison I continually think about this and I am depressed but this I call the Lord's loyal kindness never ceases his compassion never ends they are fresh every morning our faithfulness is abundant The Lord is good to those who trust Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait patiently. Let a person sit alone in silence when the Lord is disciplining him. Let him bury his face in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Though he causes us grief, he has compassion on us according to the abundance of his loyal kindness. Our hope is not just that mercy will come for us, not just that we will get relief, but our hope is that there will be change. That the root of the oppression will be rooted out, will be torn out, will be cast into the fire. 
Our hope is not just for a temporary cessation of suffering, but a long-term cure to the sin and destruction, to the roots of it. And that's why we encounter the passages, which I'm going to read the last part, and I'm just going to read it. But it speaks, it sounds like revenge, but at its root, it is, it is restoration. It is doing away with not just the symptom, but the cause. It is taking away the source of the oppression and the affliction, not just assuaging the wound with that. When fear grips my chest And the pain tells me to run I will hold fast to your word And I will stand my ground And I will stand my ground With dirt on my face and dust in my lungs, I too worship. With my shame, let's cover my song. underfoot all the earth's prisoners to deprive a person of his rights in the presence of the Most High to defraud a person in a lawsuit the Lord does not approve of such things whose command was ever fulfilled unless the Lord decreed it is it not from the mouth of the Most High that everything comes both calamity and blessing why should any living person complain when punished for his sins let us carefully examine our ways. Let us, not return, let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We have blatantly rebelled. You have not forgiven. You shrouded yourself with anger and then pursued us. You killed us without mercy. You shrouded yourself with a cloud so that no prayer could get through. You made us like the filthy scum in the estimation of the nations. All our enemies have gloated over us, panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. Tears flow from my eyes and will not stop. There will be no break until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees what has happened. What my eyes see grieves me, all the suffering of the daughters in my city. For no good reason, my enemies hunted me down like a bird. They shut me up in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head. I thought I was about to die. I have called upon your name, O Lord, from the deepest pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near me on the day I called to you. You said, do not fear. O Lord, you have championed my cause. You redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Pronounce judgment on my behalf. You see 
all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all the plots against me. My assailants revile and conspire against me all day long. Watch them from morning to evening. I am an object of their mocking song. Pay them back what they deserve, O Lord, according to what they have done. Give them distraught heart. May your curse be upon them. Pursue them in anger and eradicate them from under the Lord's heaven. But yet, where else do we hope? Where else will our hope come from if not from God? Are these things really true? Do they really come from God or is God the one who will deliver us? Is the pain really God's plan or is there something else? Something we have been too blind to see, too distracted to recognize, too full of our own selves, too confident that we have had God figured out. And of course God is going to do what we wanted when we wanted how we wanted. But God, we now know you are God and we are not. You are the one who delivers, not us. You are the one who decides justice, not us. You are the one who shows mercy, not us. You are the one who heals and restores, gives light and life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You alone, you alone, you alone. And as I lift my hands, give me strength to keep them raised. You have said you'd hold me close, and that you will not look away. You today is exactly that. It is a practice, a discipline. It isn't the end though. It is a means. It isn't the answer, but a way to come to understand and get closer to the one who is the answer. Y'all, we know too much and we know too little, but we also know enough. We know enough to move forward. We know enough to still have hope. We know enough to be healed. We know enough. Change happens when we acknowledge the truth. That is what we have practiced today, a way of coming to know more of the truth. 
And as painful and weighty as it can be, as it can seem, it is a good and necessary thing because lament is necessary for shalom. I choose worship. I choose to give you praise. I choose worship. I choose the faithful way. I choose worship. I transition now to our time of communion, reflection, and offering. Invite those who are serving communion to come on up. In our ragtag group of fellowship here, this table is open to all and to everybody. Believers and doubters, posers and fakers, you're all welcome. Jesus both serves us and is served here. The way we're going to do this today, yes, come on in, y'all. We're going to come up here. We're going to hold our, we're going to, I want you to stand up here. We did this a couple weeks ago. Grab your elements and just stand up here. We'll all take it together as we go. And uh, as we sing this song, come up, grab your elements and gather. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.